Creating new knowledge depends on data, it depends on theory, and in some ways it depends on both together. With the explosion of data today, it makes it hard to understand where to begin. Do you start with data? Do you begin with theory? Or do you use them in some way that's interchangeable? This is the focus of today's GM Deep Dive, and our host, Girish Mandapragana, Associate Professor at Indiana University, will take it away with three special guests talking about data, theory, and how they come together for new knowledge. Hello, and welcome to another great episode of Journal of Marketing's Buzz Podcast. I'm your host, Girish Malapragada, and I'm an Associate Professor of Marketing at the Kelly School of Business at Indiana University. I specialize in research on innovation and marketing channels with a special focus on empirical applications in marketing strategy. Today, we have three wonderful guests joining us. Dr. Peter Golder, who is a professor of marketing at Tuck School of Business, Dartmouth College. Then we have Johannes Bogershausen, who is assistant professor of marketing at Rotterdam School of Management, Erasmus University. And we have Isaac Dinner, who is the director of econometric modeling at Indeed.com. We are here to talk about a couple of papers that were recently published in Journal of Marketing. The first paper is the paper by Peter Golder, Marnik Dekimp, Jake Ahn, Harold Van Hede, Darren Kim, and Joseph Alba, and is titled Learning from Data, an Empiric's First Approach to Relevant Knowledge Generation. It appeared in the issue 3, volume 87 of Journal of Marketing in 2023. And the second paper is titled Fields of Gold, Scraping Web Data for Marketing Insights. The authors include Johannes Bogersassen, Hannes Tatta, Abhishek Bura, and Andrew Stephen. It appeared in the issue 5, volume 6 in 2022. Again, thanks everybody for being here. I'm going to first get started with Peter. Peter, can you tell us a little bit about the general motivation for why you got started on this project? Sure. Well, first of all, thanks so much for uh, having me today and for running the podcast. So essentially, you know, today's data-rich environment reveals many novel research questions that are untethered to theory. So when theory doesn't exist, we still want an approach to explore those problems and those issues. So we think that EF research or empirics first research really frees marketing researchers from uh, an orthodoxy of a deductive theory-driven knowledge creation approach that overall has been limiting discovery. So you think of topics like vaccine acceptance or climate change or disinformation or consumer autonomy. We either don't have the theories to apply to these problems or perhaps multiple theories apply to these problems. So we want to approach from the problem and the data and then bring in theories as needed, but be free to explore problems that don't have theories. That seems like a great motivation, Peter. And uh, I have to shamelessly admit that I went and looked at my own Vita over the years, and I realized I was probably one of your first test cases somewhere because my dissertation was predominantly empirics first. Well, there was nothing called empirics first back then. And I kind of maybe bumbled into it just to use your own phrase from the paper. So could you talk a little bit about how this is probably antithetical to the more purists who are used to the theory-first approach that's usually taught in PhD programs. You did talk about it a little in the paper, so but could you elaborate how this falls in line, something like that? Sure. So I think I think many researchers bumble into it, and I think uh, what we do is we end up sort of pushing it to the background and pretending in many cases like it's not happening. So hopefully our paper can bring it to the foreground a little bit. 
But just to give an overview to people who might not have read the paper yet, Empiric's first research is grounded in the real world. It's grounded in a real world phenomenon, a problem or observation that we might have. Then we're obtaining and analyzing data. And the ultimate goal is really to produce marketing relevant insights that are relevant to the various stakeholders within the marketing community. So you asked about the PhD education, whether it's kind of you know antithetical to the theory first approach. And I would say absolutely, yes. And that's precisely the point. And our feeling is that we need to rebalance PhD education towards more of an empirics first approach so that when necessary, we can approach problems that we might not be able to approach with a theory first approach. So, you know, what we're finding, we, we did a survey as part of our paper. What we're finding there is that PhD training really emphasizes the theory first approach much more than an empirics first approach. This is especially true with strategy researchers and consumer researchers. The modeling researchers are a little more balanced, but also surprisingly, I'd say somewhat disappointingly to me and our team really is that, you know, 43% of the survey respondents either agreed or were neutral to the charge that research starting with data analysis is unscientific. So that's a pretty good percentage of our field that really views starting with data as, you know, antithetical to scientific research. We disagree with that. You know, much research in marketing and elsewhere, of course, starts with data, starts with an observation. And we're really trying to in many ways, kind of, you know, rebalance the field a little bit to bring empirics first research more into the mainstream, because we really find it peculiar that our field has, you know, resisted moving away from a dominant theory-driven paradigm, while at the same time, we, we lament the lack of insights from that paradigm. So it's really, it's really strange. So we're really just trying to shift that balance a little bit and hopefully promote the idea that empirics first research can be a legitimate part of mainstream marketing research and be more integrated into PhD programs. My next question has already been answered with the response that you gave now, but could you talk a little bit about the, the two big challenges you faced when you were working on this project, like in terms of getting your co-authors on board or the review team that processed it? Like This is a revolutionary advice in some sense. Was it part of that or was there something else? in terms of the, the challenges? Sure. So the main challenge in getting the manuscript published was to take a paper that really started as sort of an opinion piece with a lengthy empirical example of empirics first research, and then to convert really and develop that into a full methodological article that describes empirics first research process so that others could apply the method too. Our team was a, you know, a broad-based team of researchers from a variety of disciplines, and we thought that was really important because we did not want to leave the misimpression that, that this was really more of a for modeling approaches. So our initial application in the paper was more of a modeling application. So the review team, including Chris Mormon, of course, and the anonymous reviewers, really encouraged us to use our available space to develop more of a conceptual and methodological foundations of the research. In the final writings, the uh, field of across all the domains of marketing research, you know, our objective was to have a paper that provided a how-to guide for conducting, reporting, reviewing, and fostering EF research. I'd also like to point out really that in the end, Empirics First Research is not antithetical to theory. 
that we are able to develop theory in new areas and new domains where existing theory is not present. So we're not at all antithetical to theory in the end, but we want to be able to explore domains where theory does not exist and then develop new theory, as well as empirical generalizations and guidance for managers. So can you also comment on whether this empirics-first approach will bridge the divide with practitioners? I think it will definitely bridge the divide with practitioners. It will require somewhat acceptance within the field. But one of the hopeful um, evidences that we found from our survey research is that even among marketing academics currently, there's a strong belief that empirics-first research is far more likely to lead to real-world insights. It's far more appropriate for investigating new phenomena, and it's far more appropriate for serving marketing's broader constituencies. So this is part of the sort of Jekyll and Hyde nature of our field is that the same people who recognize all those advantages of EF research then revert to focusing on theory-first research in PhD education. They revert to encouraging people to write up a paper as a theory-first paper, even when the research is not conducted that way, and admit that theory-first papers have a better reception in the review process. So, you know, why as a field do we want to give up all those advantages that we recognize rather than just broaden the field somewhat and go to areas where theory doesn't exist and try to develop new theory? So, you know, we're really just trying to bring empirics first research to the foreground and present it for what it is when it's conducted that way. Peter, that that was a great answer. And it was a moment of reflection for myself, too, as to how I wrote and reviewed papers. But that was a really excellent comment that you make in the paper as well. Now, uh, let me take this opportunity to ask our guest, Isaac, to comment a little bit about how he thinks from a practitioner's side, whether this shift in paradigm is going to help cover the bridge between industry and academia. Isaac? Thank you, Girish. Well, first, I want to add that it's not that there are absolutely no papers in marketing that come from this empirics first approach. There's a lot of work that I can think of specifically related to more recently statistical power analysis for measuring advertising effects that really comes from individuals who saw these tests and experiments taking place in the real world on big experimentation platforms and realize that there is a lot of work to be done here. And a lot of that work, specifically, I think about things like ghost ads or measurements to figure out optimal experimentation times, such as that by like Randall Lewis or Ellie Fate or Garrett Johnson, really has an in big, big, big impact in things that happen in industry. So it's not that it doesn't exist completely, but perhaps there's definitely more room for it. Yeah, clearly it looks like it's a way to create a good dialogue between practitioners and people who actually do research for a living. Now, just before I move on to the next paper, I also wanted to give you an opportunity to comment on, from a doctoral training perspective, do you think there's other ways of training PhD students to start adopting this new model, like from your perspective, Isaac? Well, of course, I'm not managing a PhD program, so I'm not sure I'm in a position to make that happen at the moment. But I will say that a lot of the most successful EF-focused research I've seen comes from individuals that have spent a lot of time in industry or partnering with individuals or companies in industry and outside of just the normal academic environment. So if there are internships, whether they're summer or throughout the year, I've seen a lot of PhD students be able to come up with very interesting problems and research from those opportunities as opposed to 
simply reading the research and journal marketing, which of course is important and relevant to know where it's going. But sometimes those outside experiences, which in Peter's paper he talked about a lot, I think are increasingly valuable. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for that. Piggybacking on some of the comments, the empirics first approach, while it existed for many decades in marketing, probably sparingly, really took off after the data deluge that came because of internet data. So our next paper provides a good context to talk about the nature of this data and how you could collect and gather it. And it's titled Fields of Gold, Scraping Web Data for Marketing Insights. So Johannes, I'm going to ask you to tell us a little bit about the motivation for this project. Yeah, thanks so much also for having me. So the original idea behind this paper started to develop towards the end of my PhD in 2019. And what I noted at that point was that there were a lot of papers being published in the top marketing journals that were using some type of web data. Yet at the same time, there were actually very few standard practices or guidelines that researchers could use to ensure that the data sets they were collecting using web scraping or API, API standing for application programming interfaces, were actually valid. And maybe Isaac will also comment on this later. When you look around on the internet, you will find a lot of resources that are very technical in nature. So they will teach you how to maybe collect data from a given website using a particular programming language, but not so much really about how do we manage this across the entire research process. And this is, in essence, what we try to do in our paper, where we develop and propose a new framework that covers the entire process from selecting a data source to designing the data collection to the actual extraction itself, and what are the key considerations that researchers should pay attention to to generate valid and really impactful data sets. I really like the framework that your paper presented because it gave point-by-point guidelines on how to kind of approach this new way of thinking about data extraction. Going back to what Peter said earlier, so could you think about how theory-focused academic researchers typically who do research with theory first can use the new paradigm that Peter's paper is proposing and then use data from the internet? So do you think these are all sort of connected in some way? Yes, absolutely. So I will make a very big push for the versatility of web data here. I do think web data is highly relevant both for more traditional theory-first approaches as well as more empirics-first approaches. And the reason that it is really suitable for both is that Web data is so diverse and so multifaceted that you can really use it for any given project or even research methodology. And I want to drive home two key points, especially for the theory-focused academic researcher, which is namely to explore web sources widely, and secondly, to also fully embrace the creativity that you can exploit in using web data. And what I mean by both of those is when we think about the sources first, I think all of us, we have our default platforms. So you might think of the Amazon, the Yelps of this world. But given a specific research question or a very particular interest, let's say, in a particular data setup or variable that you need, these conventional platforms might not always be the best places to test your theory. And therefore, it's really important to branch out to also consider less popular sources, to maybe not just consider primary data providers, but also data aggregators. And the second key point that I want to drive home here is this notion of really embracing your creativity. One of the most common misconceptions that we try to tackle in our paper and framework is that people 
like web data sets very much to other archival data sets where you just get a finished data set, that is the data and that's it. However, web data really gives you so many levers to decide how you build the data set. It does not need to be from a single website, can be from many websites. It does not need to be collected once. It can be collected multiple times. And the potential is really almost limitless. And I think we as a discipline can do so many exciting things to test new theories, to explore new phenomena, and to maybe also bumble around sometimes a little bit, like Peter said, and then discover really insightful marketing insights. Can you comment a little bit about what this new form of data might mean to PhD training and to scholars who are kind of thinking about where to look for specific problems in the business world? I hope that it means a lot. That would mean a lot of citations to our paper. No, seriously, I do think that web data has a lot of potential, especially for early career scholars at all types of institutions, regardless of whether they adopt a more empirics or more theory-first approach. And the reason for this is that you can use web scraping and API for a lot of different things. You can use it to test theories. You can use it to refine or explore new methods. You can use it to improve your study design in other studies. For example, I'm a behavioral scholar myself, and for more consumer behavior-based marketing research, we can use web data, for instance, to create more realistic experimental stimuli, or maybe even to run field experiments. And there are so many opportunities out there, especially also for early career scholars. And just to kind of drive home that point, getting there and acquiring the necessary technical skills is actually likely going to take some time and it's not going to be super smooth all the time. But I do believe that the payoff in terms of being able to build data sets that are really impactful is well worth it. And I would warmly encourage any marketing doctoral student to seriously consider this and adding this to your methodological repertoire. So you talked a little bit about APIs and programming. So can you also comment a little bit about how field data or proprietary data provided by companies, its benefits compared to, say, the researcher collecting web data on their own? So what what do you see as the pros and cons of these two methods? So one immediate pro of web data is that you can get started yourself. You do not need to engage in lengthy debates with managers or companies about whether you get data access under which particular conditions you might be allowed to use the data, but you can rather get immediately started once you have delineated your research interests or specific research question. Secondly, web data also really allows us to explore questions where maybe there's some tension between corporate interests on the one side and societal interests on the other side. Consider, for instance, you want to study the presence of fake reviews on e-commerce marketplaces. It is not that the Amazon's Yelp and TripAdvisor of this world will be extremely happy if you publish a paper that shows that 20% or 10% of all reviews are fake content. Yet we would really like to know this. And lastly, these are not necessarily either or decisions. So some of the very best applications of web scraping and marketing research actually combine both proprietary data and web scrape data, filling in the holes respectively where you maybe miss a variable in one type of data by using the other type of data. Thanks, Johannes, for that. And, and in your paper, you talk a little bit about some of the implications to consumer privacy 
the legality of data collection and using it and being GDPR compliant. Can you provide some very high level sort of guidelines? And I know in your paper, you go into a greater depth about how to tackle these issues. But for a casual listener, could you give us a few nuggets to kind of keep in mind about these issues in particular? So I'm going to start with some bad news. I don't have a solution, nor do I believe is there a universal solution to navigating the legal uncertainties surrounding web scraping. What we discuss in the paper, and that's also what I would like to advocate for, is to be cognizant of some of the limitations and very carefully integrate those into the research process when you collect web data. For example, different websites might have different terms of service. So, for example, collecting reviews from a given website might be within their terms of service, but might be outside the terms of service of another website. This is a good example of how you can, at a very practical level, navigate these challenges. And additionally, I do think it really pays off to have good relationships if you do a lot of web scraping with the expert at your respective institution, whether that's the IRB board, legal department, if you consider doing something that is a little bit more complicated or potentially involves more tension. Common yeah. sense, I think, is always the best starting point and then making really conscientious choices about minimizing potential harm. That's great advice, Johannes. Uh, as I actually want to pivot a little bit and ask you a question related to what Johannes said. So you're somebody who has worked on research with academic researchers. And there's others, you know, Dan Goldstein comes to my mind, Amin Sayedi comes to my mind. You try to kind of play this academia industry interaction very well, and you've done it successfully. So from your perspective, do you think taking a data kind of approach is a good way to think about how future research teams are going to look like as an amalgamation of people who work in the industry and universities? Well, from an industry perspective, we have a different set of concerns than academics, because one of the things that Johannes mentioned is all the legal issues. And we have to also be extremely cognizant of all of those legal challenges which come from taking data from other resources. So it's something that I think any company and individual should really think carefully about. And that landscape is changing consistently over the past number of years. And this is something Johannes and I were talking about before this call, specifically some of the the recent cases in the US, but overseas, it's quite different. The data first approach, though, makes a lot of sense. I can tell you that one thing I personally always struggle with is, and I think Johannes's paper did a good job of talking about this, is figuring out when to stop the data collection and when to start the analysis is something that's often very difficult. It's very easy to say, let's just get more data. Let's start just keep crawling in lots of different directions and see what happens. But trying to find a time to stop that, I think is very important. And to be honest, quite difficult to identify. Actually, I'd love to hear from Johannes a bit more if if he can chime in a little bit on sort of when to stop that and when to start actually doing the analysis and getting something out of it. Johannes, you want to comment? Yes, absolutely. Um, I think it's a great point, and it's one of those challenges for which there's not a boilerplate solution. What I do think we advocate for in the paper, and I think it's a good approach, is to maintain some flexibility there so that one, for instance, might begin preliminary analyses but keeps 
collecting data because that actually enables you then also in the long run to see the robustness and stability of your effects over time. Because it might be true that some data we collect now for a year, let's say on a crowdfunding platform, our effect emerges consistently, but then in the future it might change because something in the environment changed, maybe something the data generating mechanism changed. And simply being able to have that data can actually inform what conclusions we draw and also how we develop our theories, given the situational and psychological mechanism potentially at play. Garish, could I just chime in here? Yeah, Peter, I actually wanted to ask you something about that. So in your paper, you started out with data as being the, the center of the discussion. It was not online data versus offline data. So I wanted you to comment a little bit about do you foresee this across the board for both online and offline as well? I do, sure. So just wanted to pick up on one of Isaac's points early on about Empiric's first research that has been out there, been out there in several award-winning papers. And really, we are just trying to bring this more to the foreground in terms of how research is taught and how it's reported. Our co-author team really feels that you know research should be reported closer to the way it's conducted, should be reported as it's conducted, so people really understand how knowledge is generated. And the web scraping is a great example of an empirics-first research approach. One of the other points I wanted to stress is our co-author team is really very broad because we do feel the approach is relevant to all kinds of research. So I think people might be more receptive to it in a modeling context, but we want to stress as, as a team, really, that it's appropriate for consumer behavior research and it's appropriate for strategy research just as well. We're also talking about this idea about closure. So when you start with data, how do you close a project? So we have a section in the paper about that, which I, I won't go into all the details of it, but it's really important. So when you're immersed in the data, you can always get a little bit more. You can run one more experiment. You can collect one more data set, update to the latest scraped information rather than you know a month or two months old. So we have a whole section on it, and it's really important. I do believe in bringing this to the foreground to comment more specifically on your question, that the approach is relevant for online and offline. It's relevant for digital world. It's relevant for all kinds of consumer behavior. And it's really just, you know, starting with a problem that's meaningful to, to stakeholders. Could be managers, could be consumers, could be public policymakers. And, uh, you know, really just rebalancing and getting out of the journals somewhat as a starting point and getting into the problem as a starting point. And we're never going to lose the, the knowledge from the journals. We're never going to lose that theory, but it's just rebalancing towards the real world. And as we do that, then the implications really bend back more naturally to the real world. So if we start with that grounding, I think we're going to find uh, implications that are more meaningful for those stakeholders. And again, the breadth of our research team was really to say that this is relevant across the whole domain of marketing and beyond marketing as well. So that, that's our hope is that it, this empiric first research really comes to the foreground a bit more. Thanks, Peter. That's an excellent comment. And I think it gives us a great way to close our discussion today. I really appreciate Peter, Johannes and Isaac for joining us for an excellent stimulating conversation on the Empirics First approach and how researchers and practitioners can hope to solve the big problems, answer the why questions and also hopefully contribute to a better understanding of marketing phenomenon. I'm your host, Girish Malapragada, and I hope you enjoyed another great episode of the JM Buzz podcast. Congratulations again to Johannes and Peter for your papers. Thanks a lot. I hope you enjoyed this special edition of JM Deep Dive. Keep listening to us at JM Buzz. 
JMBus is available on Apple, Anchor, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcast. The JMBus is a production of the Journal of Marketing and is produced by University FM.